Today, the Pioneers Post team find out more about Dialogue in the Dark, a social enterprise franchise which started in Germany in the 1980s and has since spread across the globe. The experience enables people to enhance their understanding of how it might feel to navigate a city if you're blind or partially sighted. Later, we'll be meeting one of the founders of the experience in London, as well as one of the guides. But first, Join us as we venture into absolute darkness. I'm going to put this in my bag. The Pioneers Post team arrive at Space Studio in London's Hackney. There were four of us from the team. There was me, there was our designer Fanny, there was Anna, our managing editor, and there was Sasha, who is our senior content producer. And we were all there for Dialogue in the Dark. Um, and we didn't really know what to expect, but the first thing that happened was we were given long white sticks, the type that are usually used to support people who are blind or partially sighted. And we were told to put them in our left hand, and we were led behind a black curtain. And from there, we were given health and safety instructions for what was going to come next. So, hi guys, welcome to Dialogue and Dark. It'll be a complete sensory deprivation experience. You'll be experiencing the urban landscape from the perspective of not being able to see. Um, it is very dark in there, so it's perfectly natural to feel a degree of discomfort and anxiety. If it gets to the point of you don't want to be there anymore, or you're feeling very tense, do let your tour guide know. He's fully capable, fully trained, and can explore. Following um, the health and safety instructions, we were then taken to an even darker room and this time it was completely pitch black, you couldn't see anything. And there we met our guide for the next hour and his name was Simon. And all of the guides um, are either blind or partially sighted themselves. And Simon was really reassuring straight away by kind of holding out his hand and letting us know he was there in the darkness. Is it this way? Yeah. Hello, what's your name? Uh, my name's Caroline. Hello, Caroline. Nice to meet you. My name's Simon. Nice to meet you. I'm going to be your guide. Thanks. I'll sit on the side there and stand there. Who else is here? Hello, Hello. I'm Fanny. Fanny. So yes. I can't say Hello. too much about what happened for the next hour because the founders want people to come along and experience it for themselves. <laughs> but um, what I can say is that the guide led us on a journey through a few different scenarios that you would yes, just encounter in everyday life in a city. Um, but the one difference being that you're in complete darkness, so you can't see a thing. Um, so that means you have to rely much more on your other senses, so your um, touch and um, different sounds. And it involved quite a lot of teamwork to try and help each other through through the experience and afterwards I spoke to my colleague Sasha and she told me how it felt for her to to make her way through this experience in complete darkness. It was pretty scary being in complete darkness. I found that other sounds were quite overwhelming. Uh, I found it difficult to know how far away I was from people or from things. It was quite disorientating. 
I'm here. Oh, hello. Hey. Go. I follow. Okay. I think Anna's still getting on. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Okay, there's a massive step right here. Like the main, the main thing that you rely on all the time, you suddenly don't have, and you're just plunged into into complete darkness. Oh, there's slope, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa! That was my head nearly into the door. Um, I've got family members, both young and old, who are quite par like partially sighted, and I think this kind of experience is really, excuse the pun, but eye-opening uh, in terms of what their experience of life is and I think that is quite important like you just don't think about it at all like you just take your sight for like for granted um, so it's quite an amazing experience to be able to for just an hour be put in their shoes okay I've come to something else um, uh, it's a gate okay it's another fence I also met Hussein Gundisla, and he's one of the co-founders of Dialogue in the Dark London. He was quite an impressive person. I'm not exactly sure how old he was, but I'm 27 and he can't have been much older than me. Um, but he has already achieved a lot. He's already the director of a community interest company called Muse Projects. And now he's brought Dialogue in the Dark to London. He's hoping it will be here for at least a year and he has some really big ambitions for where it's going to go next. My name is Hussein Gindersla. Uh, I am one of the directors at Muse Projects and I'm one of the co-founders of Dialogue in the Dark London. And what is the Muse Project? Uh, Muse Projects is a community interest company that was founded um, around a year and a half ago and um, we want to create a more forward-thinking and inclusive society and um, how we do that is by bringing um, experiential exhibitions um, to London. So um, the first one being Dialogue in the Dark. A year ago I was in Istanbul um, and when I was there I did Dialogue in the Dark over there and instantly some of the questions I asked myself were why don't I have any disabled friends? Why have I never hired a disabled person before? Um, and why is society constructed this way? From there I thought if I am asking these questions to myself, and if I was to bring this to London, I can get other people to ask these questions to themselves and um, try and change, uh, essentially, the way society is constructed. Was, how was the experience first created? So the concept was founded by Andreas Heineke. Um, he had a blind friend, and um, they designed this um, concept together. And um, from there, Andreas Heineke managed to launch the first exhibition, which was in Hamburg. And then they managed to launch some more sites in Germany. And from there, they managed to grow globally over the course of 30 years and built the framework and the concept. So is, is Dialogue in the Dark a social enterprise as well, or is it just the Muse project? So uh, Dialogue Social Enterprise is also a social enterprise. Uh, and um, they have been around for 30 years. Um, what made them really successful and scalable is that they created a social franchising model, which we are part of it. So they find local partners around the world. Um, and um, if you can build that relationship and if you are genuine about making an impact, then 
uh, and if you have the funding for it, then you could, you could qualify to launch your own dialogue in the dark in your own city. And what are you hoping that like, will change after people go um, through it? One of the key things for me is to see HR professionals changing their recruitment strategies. That's one thing. Second thing is getting kids and younger people involved and influencing them from a young age so that when they become architects, designers, um, they really internalise the importance of uh, inclusion and the relevance of that to accessibility because it is so, so important. Hussein gave me an example of how a professional might change their behaviour after coming to the experience. Recently, the global design director of a global tech company came to Dialogue in the Dark. For her, the experience of navigating the world as someone who was blind or visually impaired was really powerful. And afterwards, she told Hussein that their team were going to make accessibility a much bigger priority when designing their products. The global design director of such a company saying something like that and really meaning it is just really powerful. Like, yeah, it was that was a mind-blowing moment. Um, and what's people's general reaction when they come out? Um, what are they most surprised by? People come out with a big smile on their face. Um, also, um, just getting them to have a conversation with our guides is just amazing. Like, they're, they're, all of our guides have really interesting and different stories. Um, one of our guides, are for, for example, from um, South Korea, from Seoul, and she moved to London three years ago because um, her life was too stable over there and she just wanted to uh, travel the world and do different things, just like your average millennial, really. She wanted to, like, have a more meaningful and purposeful life and um, her family didn't want her to leave and her telling her story to the visitors is quite powerful of people realising that someone who's blind flying from Korea to London somewhere that they've never been and settling and building a whole life, life from scratch is it's quite a powerful message and that sort of empowerment thing is really strong there as well so I think a, a sort of the two reactions, happiness, and also question a lot of things, that, that those are the sort of general things that we, we get. And also, people want to take action. That's one general thing, people wanting to take action. They come out, and um, I would say 80 to 90% of the people are like, what can we do, how can we help, how can we support, um, can I put you in touch with our HR manager, can we, can we get our colleagues down, that sort of thing. Um, so that is pretty amazing. So how did you work out the ticket pricing? How does all the funding work? So regarding the ticket prices, um, we looked at pricing points um, around the world for Dialogue in the Dark. And I spent, I think, about two weeks um, trying to figure out um, GDP per capita in those cities, uh, purchasing power, really getting into it and decided that it would make sense to have the tickets, ticket prices at £25. And we also pay London living wage to um, all of our uh, staff and um, none of the directors or founders are being paid from this project. So we don't receive any uh, financial um, gains from, from this project, essentially. We've got an asset lock, so all the profits have to go back into the project. Um, 
not that we have made any money, but uh, hopefully one day we can and then we can scale and bring it to Zone 1. The funding, um, Muse Project's founders and directors have funded the project, so we have put our own capital into this project, um, which a lot of people said that we were crazy doing that. Um, but we really believe in the project and we really did not want to wait. We did not want to miss this opportunity. We, we found this venue and it felt right. And um, we will be lucky if we break even by this model by the end of the year. So we might end up losing money. So we are applying for um, some grants, some funding at the moment. Uh, we have reached out to corporate brands and um, pitched um, for them to come on board as sponsors. Um, not as a CSR thing, but um, as part of their marketing campaigns because brand activations could work really well um, in a completely dark environment and people could really engage with brands. Um, and, and is there any relevance or reason why you did it in Hackney? East London is quite accepting diverse, uh, forward thinking, it's a good hub and um, there's a lot of creative people around here so Hackney just has such an amazing community here and uh, we really wanted to engage with them and create some job opportunities for people in Hackney. Um, so I think those are some of the reasons but our long-term plan is to use this location as where we launch our pilot projects and just use it as a lab where we test things out, see if they work. And um, then if we can bring corporate sponsors on board, scale it, bring it to zone one, bigger venue, more footfall, get more people through the doors. Amazing. Do you have any examples of the type of people that would sponsor something to be involved in the, in the project? TFL, SADIC, <laughs> if you're listening, reply to my emails. We want to get Mayor of London's office uh, involved. Um, Sadiq Khan is amazing and the Mayor of London is doing ama amazing when it comes to uh, sort of trying to make London a safer space for everyone. And that is extremely important. So we'd love to have um, uh, GLA, DFL, Mayor of London as partners on the project. Uh, and these partnerships doesn't necessarily have to be financial, just them supporting us and giving some exposure would be amazing. For anyone who is listening who's not from London, the GLA stands for the Greater London Authority and they're responsible for things like policing and transport. And TFL stands for Transport for London and they run our tubes and our buses and transport inside of London. In terms of uh, corporate brands, um, uh, I would I would love to have um, Apple on board as one of our sponsors, uh, but that's just a dream. Hopefully, one day will come true. Uh, but there's certainly other brands, and the brands that we're looking at are under often most of them are under the Valuable 500 list. Um, companies within Valuable 500 have a uh, commitment to. Uh, hire uh, disabled people uh, as part of their uh, workforce and not to tick boxes or fill quotas but genuinely because they be believe in that yeah, and it was founded by um, someone who's actually visually impaired called Caroline Casey um, who's a, 
um, his, she's so inspirational. I mean, like, um, amount of times I watched her TED talks, like, over and over again, and just like at desperate times, like finding power through her. Finally, I met Nayong. She's one of the guides. She's also the guide that Hussein was referring to earlier. My name is Nayong. I'm working at Dialogue in the Dark London. So how did you first find out about Dialogue in the Dark? So actually I worked at Dialogue in the Dark South Korea, Seoul, when it was first introduced in Korea. Cool. So I was, uh, I was university student at the time. So <laughs> I really enjoyed that experience. I was always kind of missing the time. I was hoping to work Dialogue in the Dark in different cities, in different languages. <laughs> it would be quite fun. So when I found out the job, I was so excited and I, I applied. And thankfully, yeah, I'm working now. So, so did you come all the way from Korea? On um, yeah, but not not because of this. I I was I lived in UK at the moment, so I came here in the UK about three years ago to study. So I'm studying TESOLs, like teaching English as second language. So because I work before I coming here, I worked as a teacher in Korea. So I just keep my field education field. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, what what do you th do? What do you find that people tell you that they've learned from the experience? Uh, I think this exhibition is beyond experiencing what uh, how blind people feel. Is actually you can discover about yourself more because uh, in in daily life you normally see it. So actually, your other senses like hearing, touching, didn't uh, don't don't have chance to tell you things because your eyesight is very dominating. So if you don't use eyesight, actually you will feel your other senses tell you more. So I hope that it's, uh, people find it it's not only difficult and hard not uh, being in the dark. I also hope people can find it. Oh, there is different way of seeing and even though we don't use eyesight, there is still way to do it. So it's also uh, understanding uh, themselves as well and also understanding uh, visually impaired people. So it's both nice. <laughs> okay. well, thank you very much for um, leading us and guiding us. Oh, we really enjoyed pleasure. it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Pioneers Post podcast. This episode was brought to you in partnership with the British Council for our Global Perspectives collection. To find out more about Dialogue in the Dark, head to our website for more information. Also, a special thanks to our guides, Simon and Nyong. <laughs>